Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. We have, uh, for our RUF Spring Large Group Series, we've been going through uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. And so this is actually the one, one of the sermons I preached most recently uh, to our students. And uh, it is just such a good text. You can't not preach it twice. Um, so here in 2 Samuel 7, you will see that this is going to be part of God's covenant of grace and his covenant that he makes with, with David. 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 17. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies." Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make for you a house when your days are fulfilled with your fathers, or when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from, from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. 
your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do look to you and we bow our knees before you, asking that by the mighty Spirit that he might come upon us, he might incline our ears to hear your word, that he might quicken our souls to come alive, that we might hear you calling us to you, that he might sanctify us by the truth that he might assure us of our identity in Christ, that he might lift our eyes off of constantly looking at ourselves to look upon Jesus. For Lord, we swim every day in a culture that is so self-obsessed and we need to see a true and great king. So by your power and by your power alone, not by the strategy of humans or by the words of mere man, but may we hear you speak And as you speak to us, would you give us ears to hear? And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. One article from a couple years ago from a psychologist says this, uh, we all know what it's like to feel as insecure as an email password. We know we should raise our hand in class, but we're afraid we'll sound stupid. We pine silently for our crush but we keep our distance so that they don't laugh in our face. We want to voice our idea in that meeting, but we can't find the words, at least until someone else says them. Call it social anxiety, self-doubt, or inhibition. Whatever we call it, it's insecurity. And it's a universal part of the human condition. All of us, to some degree or another, struggle with insecurity And you might think that the older you get, you might not struggle with it as much, but that's not true. You just get better at covering it up. We're all struggling with insecurity at some level. And the question is, what is insecurity? Here's what insecurity is. Insecurity is whenever our pride sees our own faults. It's whenever our pride sees our own faults, because here's what insecurity is. Insecurity says, I will be king of my life. That's pride. But then when you look at yourself, you realize, wait a second, I'm not a very good king. My kingdom is very vulnerable. And so we do all we can in life to to make sure we can watch all the different walls of our kingdom and to look about in the surrounding woods to see if any enemies are lurking, ready to attack. And we're striving so hard to impress other people. That's what we're doing. We're often asking questions of what are my threats or who are my threats? What if I'm attacked? How can I make myself look more impressive to other people? How can I make people respect me? Or even this, how can I tear down others so that I can build myself up? We're doing this on social media all the time. We're doing this when we play sports, We're doing this with academics or our jobs or our families or our parenting. We do this when we go out to various different parties and gatherings and functions so that we can make sure people know, especially when we go back to our high school reunion, we're really making it. 
And here's what we do in our insecurity. We wage war on other people's kingdoms. Because we see someone's kingdom that might look impressive and we feel threatened. And so often what we can do is we can either gossip about them or slander them or try to work as hard as we can to make sure our kingdom is greater. We're doing this all the time. You see, but here's the question. Can there actually be someone who can be a better king than anything we could ever be? That's the question. And you might be looking at this text saying, how in the world can you get insecurity out of this? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. When you look at these promises of a great name and stability and security and and steadfast love and an unthreatened throne, you'll begin to see that our insecurity comes from not living in light of this text. It's not trusting that Jesus really is the true son of David, the king. Ultimately, our insecurities show that we long for a greater king, and that's exactly what God secures for us. So go back to verse one. I love to tell my students, keep your Bibles open because who cares what I have to say? It only matters if it's according to God's word. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And so Nathan tells David, go and do all that's in your heart for the Lord is with you. But then we read about how the Lord reverses that blessing as it were. And instead of the Lord being blessed with a house, God says, as Lee Corso might say, not so fast, my friend, let me bless you. You see, God has always been a covenant making and covenant keeping God. He is a God who promises. And all of God's covenants throughout the years building up to this point have just reiterated some of those promises and have built upon it. What's amazing is that, if I can even give you a visual graph, as it were, is that in the very beginning when God, in Genesis 3.15, he promised that he would bring the snake crusher who would crush the head of the serpent to make all things right. And then it gets a little bit bigger. And we read about how in the covenant with Noah, that that snake crusher must be someone who's gonna drink down the flood of God's wrath in order to show mercy to some of his people. And then it gets bigger. It gets bigger with Abraham. God calls Abram to come out from your land because here's the thing, I'm gonna give you a great land. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna make your name great. And you'll see that promise reiterated here. I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna make nations come from you. And here's how you're gonna enter into this promise. It's not because you're good enough. It's all of grace. It's all of mercy. You see those stars up there? Look at those stars and just believe my word. Take me at my word. Don't try to earn it. And then it gets even bigger. We see that the snake crusher who's gonna drink down the flood of God's wrath to save his people, that he's gonna be the one who's gonna give the great name, the great land and the great blessings and it's all gonna be for free. And then it builds up to Moses and God gives his law and he says, be perfect, but all God's people know that they can't. So somehow this snake crusher must be perfect. And then it gets to David. See how it just keeps, it keeps building and building and building through the years. 
And now God is going to give David this covenant, this blessing. And when David wants to bless the Lord because he's won some battles and some victories and it's, he's entered at least a little season of, of uh, war rest, battles that have ended, he wants to bless the Lord, but the Lord says, once again, not so fast, my friend. I remember when I was in elementary school and it was homecoming week, and this day and during homecoming week was dress up as your hero. And so what did I do? Because I was very artistic. Well, I got an undershirt and I got some permanent markers out. And because I'm, once again, very artistic, uh, I made this football jersey. It was very bad, just not good drawing at all. Um, I made this football jersey because this guy who went to go play at Auburn um, he had gone to our high school and as a little fourth grader, I think it was fourth grade, my mom can always correct me. But I think it was when I was in fourth grade, I was thinking, man, this is my hero. That's who I want to be. And I just thought this is the coolest thing ever. And it's just this rinky dink undershirt. You know, here's really cool. That guy heard about it and he got his mom to that day at school, bring me one of his actual game worn jerseys. Brett Eddins, 94, who played defensive end for Auburn. Here's what was amazing. It's the biggest shirt I've ever worn because it went down to my ankles. Here's what was happening there. I wanted to do something awesome for this guy because I was like, this guy's amazing. He did something even greater for me. That's what God's doing for David. Far and beyond what David could ever do for God, God is saying, not so fast, my friend. I will bless you because that's the type of God I am. And he says to David, look, I have been with you wherever you've, wherever you've been, wherever you've gone. When you were in the pasture with sheep, I was with you and I will continue to be with you. In other words, God's saying this, it has always been all of grace and it will continue to be all of grace. You will not earn my love. You will not earn my promises. I will just give them to you. And the promises that God makes towards David, look at verse nine, look at the second verse uh, or second sentence of verse nine. He says, and I will make for you a great name. Does that sound familiar to what God promised Abraham? I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place. Does that sound familiar? I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Violent men shall no longer afflict them. The Lord says that he's going to build David a house, that the king that will come from David will be from his actual body, and that God's going to build him a dynasty and an unthreatened throne, and he's going to give him steadfast and secure love. It's amazing. God's going to bring a true king. He's going to bring a true ruler. And what's amazing is that it must be this same snake crusher, the one who will crush Satan finally, who will drink down the flood of God's wrath so that we can have mercy and grace upon us, the one who will earn God's blessings so that we might receive them freely, and the one who perfectly fulfills God's law so that we can stand in God's sight as blameless. And by the way, and the covenant of redemption that God made in eternity past, the father said to the son, you will go and be that person. That's who it will be.
that the eternal Son of God would take on flesh and he would come to be the true king. That's what God's promising. You see, what God is telling David here, you don't have to earn it. You don't need to let any, in, any temptations of insecurity uh, threaten you or make you live in fear. Matter of fact, stop trying to trust yourself as king because I am giving you the true king. That is the king that is promised. But what about the king as promised? See, this is where we wait a long time. And you got to think about this. It would have been some 1,100 or so years until this true king would come. That's a long time. I don't know if y'all knew that. It's a long time. I'm 31. It's a lot longer than that. Think about that. Son after son of David would come forth. And all of God's people remembering that covenant would say, could, could this be the one? We're getting ready to have a child, Lord willing, in June, and there's all those anticipations there. Imagine the anticipation whenever someone would hear that someone from the line of David is having a son. Could you imagine that? Is, is this finally going to be it? For about 1,100 years or so, it was silent. King after king failed. There were some highlights and there was a lot of lowlights. And even after 400 years of prophetical silence, Finally, you read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, you read this. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. And literally in the Greek, it means the book of Genesis. In other words, a new beginning. And it goes on to describe Jesus Christ as, it says, the son of David. In Matthew 2, verse 2, the wise men appeared to King Herod and they said, where is he who has been born what? King of the Jews. In Matthew 4, verse 17, after Jesus had definitively defeated Satan in the temptation in the wilderness for 40 days, he comes proclaiming his first sermon and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'll always remember what one of my seminary professors told me. Wherever there is a kingdom, there is a king. Now watch how this continues to unfold. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, it says that, and as Jesus passed on from there, there were two blind men following him. And I think it's interesting because these physically blind men could see more clearly than anyone else in the day. And they followed him, they cried aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. You see them connecting the dots? In Matthew 21, verse 9, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, do you remember what he's riding on? A donkey. Not a war horse, but a donkey as a fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9, that is prophesying of the great king to come. And it says this, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. And the people see that. And in Matthew 21, verse 9, they begin shouting as he's riding into Jerusalem, and they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. But he's not the king they expected. Because they wanted this powerful, big, earthly kingdom. They wanted Caesar to be overthrown. And they wanted it now. 
But because he wasn't that type of a king, but a much greater king, they crucified him. And on the cross, here's what would happen on on the cross in Roman crucifixions. As they would be stretched out with nails between their wrists to hold them up so that this wrist joint would hold them. When the Bible talks about the hand, it includes the wrist as well. And as those nails would hold them up by their wrist joints and as their feet would be crossed over with nails going through those to once again hold them up and as they're hanging there in excruciating pain, above them would read the sentence why they were there. And do you remember what it said? This is the king of the Jews. What's even more amazing is this. What is Jesus wearing on his head? He's wearing a crown. He's wearing a crown of thorns. And it's right there as he's being mocked by everyone. It's right there that he's crushing the serpent. Amen? Come on now. We're gonna, I got to tell my students sometimes, it's Wednesday nights and it's late, we're going to get going. This is amazing truth. When no one else expected it, that's when the king was winning. When no one else expected it, that's when the son was showing who he was. He is the king. He's brought the kingdom and he's bringing a victory greater than anything else we could ever imagine. That's why Paul can say in Philippians 2 verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow because he has the great name. Paul, again, describes Jesus in 1 Timothy 6.15 when he describes him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. One of the next sermons I'll preach to our students on Wednesday night is Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, it's this incredible psalm about how there will be a true king in heaven who just simply laughs at the, at the people of earth when they threaten God's kingdom. And isn't that what's happening today? God can't tell us what to do. God can't tell us what to believe. Who are we to embrace his word? God's not threatened at all. He is the king. He's ruling all things. See, we even see that in Revelation 5, verse 5, where the great promise here says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There's a story of some seminary guys who they didn't have a basketball gym at their seminary and so they would go to a local public school to play basketball. And every time they play basketball, there'd be a, a janitor sitting over here on the bleachers. And as they would play, this janitor would just sit there and just watch until he could finally clean up and lock up the gym. But every time they would play, he'd be reading his Bible. And one day he's reading his Bible and one of the seminary students, because us seminary students, we know everything. They went over there and they said, well, what are you reading? He's reading the book of Revelation. He says, well, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> we know everything, don't we? He says, oh yeah, I understand. He says, well, what does it mean? He said, it means that Jesus wins. And that is what it means. The book of Revelation is telling us that because there is a king right now, reigning at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, he is winning and he will win, even and especially when it doesn't look like it. And you can hold on to that. That's Jesus.
a king that God secures for our insecurities. Now, you might, you might need to ask the question this, so what? Who cares? So what? If it stops there, it's a Sunday school lesson. But here's what we need to remember is that this king has made promises. You see, when you get Jesus, you get everything that comes with him. When you get Jesus, what's his becomes yours. As 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. When you get Jesus, you get all of his promises. You see, these promises that God gave to David at the end of verse nine says, I will give you a great name. Here's what it means amidst our insecurities because we have Jesus, we have a great name. And that means this. Stop being enslaved to the idea that you must leave a great legacy. Repent of your idea of your Messiah complex that you have to be the person who fixes everyone or you have to be the biggest influence in everyone's life. No, 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 here's the thing. Jesus' name, that's the great name. It's okay to be ordinary. And matter of fact, in Jesus, there is no such thing as ordinary, even though the world might label it as that. You have a great name. It's okay to be Mozart's father. No one really knows or remembers who Mozart is because we all remember, well, Mozart. But Mozart's father was a phenomenal musician and one of the best in his days, but then he had a pretty incredibly talented son. And he's totally surpassed him. But we hate the idea of being Mozart's father. We want to be Mozart. But here's the thing, when you try to be Mozart, it never goes well. But actually, the way to secure your name is if you embrace these promises. We also have the promise of stability and security in Jesus Christ. It means that our enemies will threaten us no more. They will disturb us no more. You see that in verse 10. And I love the way that heaven is described in Revelation 21, verse 25, where it says that the gates of heaven will never be closed. How many of us go to bed at night and we're right to the point of falling asleep, and maybe we do, or our spouse looks to us and goes, hey, did you lock the doors? Here's the thing. In heaven, the gates are always open because there's never a threat. In Christ, we have security. In Christ, there's no longer potential threats or potential enemies lurking about in the woods surrounding That means that because we have great security in Christ, you don't have to run to the mental what-if land. Do you hear that? How many of us, maybe even right now as we're soaking in the news, are wondering, what if? But you have a king, and he's watching over you. I remember watching one of the Thor movies, and one of the lines that's repeated a lot says, Asgard is not a place, but a people. And that, that is true, but yet a people need a place. And we have a place, and it's secure. Imagine what that truth might feel like to the 2.5 million Ukrainians right now. The RUF pastor who's over there right now who's had to flee from where they were. I'm, I'm not sure if I can say if that, I don't know what their security is like, but they've had to flee. Imagine what that promise in Jesus Christ for security and stability might be like for them. We need a king today. 
We have the king who promises a house in a dynasty, it means that we don't have to always be worrying about the future. We don't have to always be worrying if others are going to destroy us. Once again, if I can give another example, it's like the recent story of an MI6 agent who hacked into a terrorist website, and when he found the directions of how to make a bomb, he changed it to recipes for a cupcake. You see, because Jesus Christ is king, all the lethal damage that the enemy wants to do to you, even if they try to kill you. You see, Jesus Christ is sovereign over that. Through our death, he spreads the word. Through our persecution, he makes us more righteous. When he threatens God's truth, it makes us press into it more. All of the enemy's ways will be reversed upon itself. Uh, God even promises David a king from David's own body, it says there in verse 12, meaning a king who will actually be like us. A king who personally represents you. A king who personally rules for you. A king who protects you. And it means that finally you don't have to be king because he's a lot better of a king than you and I would ever be. It's an unthreatened throne It means that we don't have to live in the insecurity of always trying to run from our past because finally in heaven, there will be no more threats. And it also shows that in him, we we will have that steadfast love. You see that in verse 15, but my steadfast love will never depart from him. It means that when you embrace this king and only when you embrace this king, God's not dangling his wrath over you to shame you into holiness He's wooing you with his love. He's given you love far beyond anything else you could ever imagine. And that should help us in our insecurities from trying to do things to earn people's love because we have it in Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, that we would believe that. God secures for us a king so that we can learn to kill our insecurity. There was one day when a new Christian came to the Chinese church leader named Watchman Nee. And this young Christian was really anxious and and living in insecurities about their salvation. And they told Watchman, no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation. You ever been there? Here's how Watchman replied. You see this dog over here? He's my dog. He's house trained. He never makes a mess. He's obedient and he's a pure delight to me. You see that little boy in the kitchen? He makes a mess. He throws his food around. I love this language. He fouls his clothes. He's a total mess. But who is going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog, my son. If you run to Jesus Christ, you can stop trying to be watchman's dog. And you can just be a son. And in Jesus Christ, in the son, you will receive all things, all of grace, and they will never be taken away from you. That's what we need today. That's the king who rules for us. And if there's no better time to proclaim this message, then I don't know what is. Believe in him and you will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you, by your grace and by your mercy, 
would write this message upon our hearts, write your word upon our hearts so that we might see that it is Jesus Christ who is the true king. And in him, all of your promises are yes. What a truth, what a glory. Would you help us to believe it? And we ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.